Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 127. Today, we're talking about the good news about bad behavior with Katherine Lewis. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate calm in their daily lives to create more peace and cooperation in their families. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the mom of two girls who challenge me every day to hone my craft. Welcome back. If you're new to the podcast, we have been taking a brief summer recess and to my loyal listener, I am so glad to be talking to you again. So welcome, welcome. I am so glad to be here. I'm so excited to start this new season and I'm so grateful that you are here and really honored to be in your ears. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Catherine Reynolds Lewis, and she is an award-winning journalist, author, and speaker based in the D.C. area. Her book, The Good News About Bad Behavior, explains why modern kids are so undisciplined and tells the stories of innovators who are rebuilding lost self-control, resolving family conflict, and changing the trajectory of young lives. Catherine is a certified parent educator with the Parent Encouragement Program in Kensington, Maryland. And I'm so excited for you to sit down with us because I'm going to talk to her about some things that are really near and dear to my heart. And for every mindful mama who has wanted the stats to show that yelling and punishment are counterproductive, this episode is going to do that. There's some some really powerful research behind Catherine's book. And I'm going to ask Catherine about why kids have less self-control now. Why do rewards actually discourage the behavior you want to incentivize? And what are the common elements to the parenting paths that work? So join me at the table as I talk to Catherine. But first, here's a brief message about our upcoming Mindful Parenting free training. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way, and there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. 
they don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful Parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting, and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. And now on to this episode. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to talk to you. Your book, The Good News About Bad Behavior, already. I'm so excited about it. Like I have been like reading it at night before I go to bed and I've been like flagging down my daughter to like tell her different facts that you have in your book because I'm super excited about all the stuff that you have in here. But for the person who is new to this, you talk about why kids are less disciplined than ever, which is kind of interesting, which is, you know, so I've, I've been sharing it with my coaching people and I've been like, listen, if you think your kids are a little crazy, it's true. Catherine Reynolds Lewis says so. So <laughs> can you tell us about what the problem is? Yeah, it's really something that I got into exploring because of my own question that is this normal I don't remember kids being this chaotic when I was little and grew out of my experiences as a mother and a school volunteer and then you know I got my journalist brain interested and I started looking at the science and interviewing teachers and parents and psychologists and following scientists to try to understand is there something different about kids today the way that they're growing up, the way that their brains are working. And I concluded that yes, kids just don't have the same ability to manage their thoughts, behavior, and emotions that they might have 20 or 30 or 40 years ago for a number of factors. And we see this in the rise in anxiety, ADHD, depression, self-harm, suicidality, one in two children by the time they're 18 will have a mood or behavioral disorder or a substance addiction, according to the National Institutes of Health. And if you looked at the CDC data, you can see that the suicide rate among children 10 to 14 has doubled in the last decade. And it's gone up 41% for kids 15 to 19. So it's a bunch of scary statistics and it may not seem like it applies to your neurotypical kid, but we know that children are all on a spectrum. And so the behaviors that maybe reach the level of a diagnosis in some kids are still present in other kids where they have more trouble sitting still in their chair. They have more trouble staying organized or managing their big emotions or dealing with conflict with siblings or other children. So we need to understand that our kids are starting off needing more support and more practice. And when they are, quote unquote, misbehaved, it's not a reflection on our bad parenting. It doesn't mean they're going to be in a van down by the river in 20 years. It's normal. And we just need to be curious, understand what's going on and support them in developing better skills. Yeah. I mean, this was so interesting to me. You have 
you have a like a study in your book where they've found, I mean, I just want to underline this because in your book, you write about how they found that kids don't have the same ability to the same sort of self-control abilities. And they found that in as far away as Russia, as well as here than they did you know, years and years ago. I mean, that's that's pretty fascinating because we know that we're in a different world now and we're in our individual families and we think our kids are, are kind of not so because kids can be, you know? But to see that it's this like generational difference is wild. Right. And I think what I hope people will take from the book is not, oh, this is a crisis, even though it is, mm. but okay, what I'm experiencing is normal. It's not my imagination. And so therefore I may need more support as a parent than it seemed like my parents did or my grandparents did. And, and really to normalize the experiences that people are having. And that study in Russia to me was so powerful because it just simply measured the time that children could stand still when told to do so. And to me, that was just such a simple measure and so powerful to see that that raw number of seconds that kids can stand still now has declined. Um, it's sort of the most basic way you can ask, can you control yourself? <laughs> and you say they need they need more support, but I think a lot of people might say, well, like, what are the differences between then and now? Because some people might say, well, it's the way we're parenting them. It's the way, you know, that we are, we're not being hard enough on them and that we need to kind of just, you know, knock that discipline into them for them to be able to have that. So, but you found the research and this is what excited me about it. Cause I, I say that's not true, but you're pointing out that it's the research that says that's not true. The research says otherwise. So, so what do you say to the people who say they need like more discipline to, to have this more self-control? Right. Well, this is where we do know so much more than our parents and our grandparents did. You know, that we have decades of research on what happens to kids when they are spanked or chastised or subject to extreme verbal punishment and discipline. And we can look at the literature on the developmental psychology side and see that those kids have poorer mental health as adults. They tend to have poorer relationships with their parents. And yes, they may meet all those benchmarks of graduating high school, not getting into trouble, getting a job, but then they have difficulty with addiction, forming healthy relationships in adulthood. And these are the things that really we, we want so deeply for our kids. So looking at the developmental psychology literature, we see that's not effective, this type of authoritarian, stern, chastising kind of parenting. And then when you look inside kids' brains, as many of these really fascinating neuroscience studies have done, you can see that when kids are yelled at or people are experience that sort of rebuke from someone close to them, their brain reacts as if they were hit. And it's an attack the same way that you would experience any other attack of, or threat. Your body goes into a fight or flight state. And if you experience that over and over as a child, you grow up in a, in a state of stress. And, and that's very toxic to our bodies. So on both sides of the science, you know, the, the longer you know, psychological studies that have been observational and the newer neuroscience, we see that this parenting is just damaging to children. And it doesn't mean, you know, if you lose your temper and you yell at your kid or maybe even you swat them on their rear, I, I don't recommend it, but it's, you're not going to damage them for life one time. It's this repeated, you know, 
habitual parenting that's stern and distant is damaging to kids. And we also know that kids need limits and they need consistency and they need to learn to self-discipline. So we need to find that middle path where you are connected to your children and you're emotionally supportive and you're also giving them the boundaries as they're younger that they need to learn self-discipline. Yeah. Parenting can be loud, stressful, and rough some days. And we want to be able to go to bed and take care of ourselves in a really beautiful way. And that's why I love that Cozy Earth is a sponsor of the podcast. Cozy Earth offers bedding products that will transform your sleep. The bedding is temperature regulating, which is like a huge sleep benefit, has superior softness, incredible fabric, and incredibly high quality. All the products come with a 10-year warranty. Truly, incorporating Cozy Earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and your overall wellness. You deserve to treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence after all the day's craziness of parenting with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear. And it's a way to prioritize your self-care and sleep health. You deserve it. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use the code MINDFUL35 for 35% off. That's awesome. At CozyEarth.com. That's coupon code MINDFUL35 for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. As parents, we know that there are so many things in life that we have to compromise on. But when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor that doesn't really listen to you. Instead, check out ZocDoc. This is a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, there's no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you actually know about. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash mindful and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mindful. ZocDoc.com slash mindful. This becomes fascinating because as I told you, I teach the mindful parenting course and Oftentimes, one partner might take the course and the other partner, <laughs> I'm just hoping that the, the other partner could listen to just up to that point of what you just said, because the other partner doesn't believe that the authoritarian methods are more effective because they quote unquote work in that moment. But you're saying that it eventually leads to to poor markers of mental health, like addiction and things like that. But but they might say then, well, I was parented like that, and I'm not an addict, and I don't have right. poor mental health. So so I'm just trying to think about what the objectors might say, and and so how would you might respond to that argument? Right, I would say you're so fortunate. We you know not all kids are vulnerable to mental illness, but you don't know in advance if your child is a child who's more sensitive who develop problems. So 
Plus, you're, you're not going to build that, that strong relationship that you want with your child. When it comes to that, one parent takes the course or reads the book and the <laughs> other doesn't, I have had experience with that as well. And I always recommend that we can only ever control ourselves. So if your spouse or your co-parent is parenting differently, you know, and they're open to hearing these ideas, wonderful, share them with them, but don't then be the expert who's showing them what they want to, that what they're doing wrong and critiquing them. It's just as discouraging for an adult to be told they're bad or they're not doing it right as it is for a child. And the better solution is just to parent the way that you want to parent. And they'll notice if they're sensitive and observant that you're getting better results with the kids. The kids want to be with you. The kids are cooperative. They help with chores when you're around. And, and that kind of evidence is going to be more effective than telling them, I read this awesome book, or I listened to an amazing e-course, or I heard this fabulous podcast, because it's really the proof that will sway the doubters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's other problems, right, with sort of, you talk about sort of harsh discipline, but the, even if it's not harsh, you point out in the book the, the problems with reward and punishment. So, and what, what this is all kind of coming back to, which I just want to point out for, for you, dear listener, is that this is like what Catherine's referring to is this like distinction between intrinsic versus extrinsic modes of, of, of motivation. And that when we're motivated by something that is outside of ourselves, when we're kind of forced to be doing something that's outside ourselves, whether it's by reward or punishment or fear of the yelling or the spanking, that's not a kind of motivation that, that lasts that long, that we're going to get to the intrinsic motivation. But Catherine, tell us about the reward and punishment and what the research says about that as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. And th these are the sort of two tools that parents instinctively turn to. At least I did when I first had kids was how do I offer that carrot that will in, you know, get them to do it or threaten with the stick. And if you look at the literature, rewards actually discourage the behavior you want to incentivize. It's super counterintuitive, but if you look at the research by Ryan and DC out of University of Rochester or Carol Dweck at Stanford, the studies that they've done where they offer a reward, whether it's a monetary reward or some other incentive, the people who are given the reward count the activity as less valuable compared with people who were just offered the activity. And that can be doing a puzzle or trying a new beverage or all the things we try to get our kids to do, try new things, challenge themselves, be explore their palate. And so it's important for us as parents to realize that if we reward a behavior, it may work in the near term, but we're telling that child this behavior is intrinsically undesirable and therefore I have to reward you and the kid themselves <laughs> counts it as less enjoyable. So it happens with work, with taking risks in school, with foods. And so really it's, it's very dangerous, a slippery slope with rewards. And eventually there will come a time when the kid just doesn't really care about the reward. And then you haven't developed the social connections or the cooperation that would otherwise get the child to go along with whatever you're proposing. That's the problem with rewards. The problem with punishment is, as I discussed before, it creates this barrier between the child and the adult. It breaks the relationship, at least in a small way. And so therefore, it 
it turns a child away from the person that could be supporting them, building their neural pathways, helping them to understand the experience. And it, it misses that opportunity for building social and emotional skills in that moment. So you dove into all this research because you were a parent and <laughs> and your kids were, I'm not, imagine you were in that baffling place that we all get to probably around when our kids are two and we're like, what is going on? How do I do this? What's going on? It, it sounds like reward and punishment was something that you you tried. You, you tried some of these counterproductive methods that are kind of just in our in our culture and in our zeitgeist, right? Oh, absolutely. I gave stickers. I counted to three. You know, I, I used all of them. And they did work often for at least a couple of weeks. And especially with our older kids. Then our third came along and, oh, she was not having it. So, <laughs> so I had to find new strategies. And I'm really grateful to her that she just was on a completely different track because we realized that we needed deeper tools to really raise resilient kids who could be self-disciplined. Yeah, I'm always grateful to my very intense first child (laughs) for putting me on this path in the first place. It's amazing. So... So the problem is that the you know the kids are more chaotic they actually they actually have less self control and but then these tools that we want to reach for these traditional tools authoritarian tools like yelling like reward like punishment you point out that they're actually counterproductive because it, it in the long run it really makes maybe in the short run you have a kid who's afraid of you and they're like okay I do the thing but in the long run there there's probably a lot of resentment that's built Right. And you're teaching the child people who are more powerful can control the people who are less powerful. And so you're building a child who's always going to seek power. They're always going to be looking for an opportunity to be in charge, to be in control, to boss you. And so you're just setting yourself up for power struggles, for passive aggressive behavior and or a child who becomes sneaky, who says, I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to do it behind my parents' back because there's no path to compromise. There's no way I can have input into how my life goes. So instead, I'm just going to find you know, a, a way to do it that's hidden. Yeah. So then there's, there's lying and all of those things because they, don't, they only want to maybe do the thing because of the external thing. And so it's not, it's not like an internal desire. So you know, all this research. Also, I want to point out that you do a lot of research into kind of the opposite. And, you know, it was interesting to you, the permissive side, right? And it was interesting for me to read this because apparently, you know, I'm 40 years old. You talk about how this like get... The, this permissive parenting becomes much more popular in the 1990s, which of course I was like, you know, I was a, you know, a 13 year old at the time. So it was all passing me by. And, um, So tell us about how this, you know, the pendulum swung in this other direction and what are some of the problems on this side? Right. So permissive parenting certainly is, was my first instinct when I didn't want to be the authoritarian, you know, hammer that came down on my kids. But the problem with permissive parenting is that it's actually kids have even worse outcomes than kids who have authoritarian parents. They tend to do poorly in school. They tend to experiment with drugs and sex and risky behavior. And at the same time, they're not learning, you know, the discipline to show up at school, get good grades. And so they tend to have really bad outcomes. They may have a good relationship with you. They may have decent mental health, but they're not going to have the sort of 
life success outcomes that will sustain them as an adult. And ultimately, you know, if you're not doing well in school, you're not succeeding um, in that arena. Often they, you know, kids do sometimes turn to substances or, you know, become addicted just because they're allowed to try it by a permissive parent. And this is what I often see parents doing you know, they don't want to yell, they don't want to say my way or the highway. And so instead, they kneel down, and they have like a half an hour conversation with a two year old who's in the middle of a meltdown. And that's <laughs> not good either, right? Because that's not helping our kids when they are melting down, when they're having tantrums, they cannot hear us. They're not going to be reached by reason or logic or words in that moment, unless it's something like, I'm here, I'm with you, I love you, you know, that sort of small, short, empathetic messages that can help them calm down. That once their brains are regulated, then you can go into problem solving. But I think parents do often talk a lot because we don't want to be yelling. But we somehow think if our child, our three-year-old, just, just heard the logic, they would suddenly <laughs> not want that sugared cereal because it's so bad for their teeth and their health. And, you know, that doesn't work either. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's hard to imagine that that two-year-old saying, no, no, thanks. I don't want that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we don't want either of these, which I'm, of course, for me, as somebody who, you know, I thought I was going to have this great relationship with my, my daughters, and then it became my daughter at the time, and it came, became so difficult and so challenging. And I discovered for myself that my parents' voice came out of my mouth and that my my father's anger came out of me. And I had to really learn tools to lower my reactivity so I could communicate more effectively. And so I'm wondering, you know, we're going to talk about the middle path, which is the path that that I found and that you found this is this is this more effective there are paths I should say but I'm wondering about you Catherine and you know I'm wondering how you were parented by your parents and did some of these old habits come out were there some things that were good that you wanted to keep and maybe some things that weren't so good that you really wanted to get out of your system and and not not let come out so much yeah oh that's a great question my parents were wonderful. They, I don't know if they were authoritarian or permissive. It may be that they uh, seesawed because my, they both were raised by authoritarian parents. And so I think for them, that was their go-to when they got frustrated or when they didn't have any other option, but they did want that close relationship with us. So they were very connected and very involved and loving. And then occasionally they just be, okay, my, my way of the highway. And my mom in particular, and I write about critical mothers in the book and the damage that parental criticism can do, like her voice, the sort of negative voice, when I have negative self-talk in my head, it is my mother's voice, you know, about my being lazy or being, you know, whatever the other thing is that I'm blaming myself for. So, so I've had to understand, you know, that they were doing the best they could with the resources they had and they really gave us a wonderful, grounded childhood. Um, I think one of the blessings is that my mom went back to work full-time in a very intense job when I was about 12. And so in those 
early adolescent years when kids need to make a lot of mistakes and mess up and learn from their mistakes, she wasn't there to be right on top of me criticizing and critiquing and redirecting just because she was so busy. And so I was able to have more autonomy and to, to learn a little bit through my own mistakes, which is something I advocate for all parents. Of course, we may be sitting on our hands as opposed to like, you know, in school and trying to get another degree as a, you know, 40 year old. But yeah, it's, it's definitely been a journey for me to try to create my own style of parenting that pulls all of the great emotional support and connection that they gave us, but without a lot of that, you know, the critical messages and the, some of the negativity that, you know, would come out in those moments of frustration. And that's absolutely something you can do too, dear listeners. Think about your own upbringing and think about what you want to keep and and also think about what didn't didn't feel so good. So sometimes we forget to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the child and and get into that place where we remember. And you know, I I really can remember being afraid of my father's anger and really realizing seeing that same anger that same fear on my daughter's face and being like, "Oh gosh, what a what a wake-up call." So so we don't want to, we don't want to yell, right? We don't want to, we don't want to criticize. <laughs> we don't want to spank. So then what does the middle path look like? How do we, we're saying to the listener, like, don't do this if you can, <laughs> you know, tr- try not to, try not to do this. So, so how do we correct behaviors that are problematic without doing those things. And you're also saying, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that, you know, give kids room to make some mistakes too. And and I think this is something that we need to check within ourselves is like our expectations for our child really high. So, so take that any way you'd like to, Catherine. It's a great question. And that in my book, I loved earlier when you said the middle ways or the middle paths, because there are so many different ways of threading this needle. And in the book, I spent five years researching and reporting the effective discipline models that are out there that have been used for decades and are really successful, have great outcomes. So I looked at four different models of discipline, two in schools and two in homes, and tried to pull out what are the common threads that make these effective, that actually end up teaching kids self-discipline to manage their thoughts, behavior, and emotions. And I came out with three common elements in all of them. Number one, connection between the adult and child. Number two, communication about the issue or the behavior or the problem at, that's at, in question. And the third, a focus on capability building. And this is both in the, the moment, whatever discipline issue you're dealing with, building their social and emotional skills, but also more broadly, helping children to see themselves and actually to be capable. So they're contributing to the household. They're doing things that actually help our family and community. They can look at themselves as really mattering and belonging as opposed to childhood just being focused on achievement and how you know fast they run, how many soccer goals they kick, how brilliantly they play the piano, what grades they get. So those three elements, connection, communication, and capability building are also supported by that scientific literature. And it's fascinating, so much in the book, but just a couple that I'll pull out, you know, when you hold someone's hand, you actually help their brain regulate the fight or flight response. So if your child's having a tantrum and you're able to 
put a hand on their shoulder, hold their hand, give a hug. Some kids will not let you, and so then you don't push it. But that can actually change the neurobiology in their brains at that moment and help them to calm down from the agitated fight or flight state. And I also think a lot of what we do as parents that's helpful is not in that moment of conflict Mm -hmm. or tantrum. Mm -hmm. It's the planning, talking, anticipating with our kids, helping them think ahead, and then helping them process. So in that moment, yeah, they may make mistakes. And our job is not to tell them they're wrong or tell them they did a bad job or tell them they made a mistake. But as we do that reflection with them afterwards, help them to come to the conclusions that will lead to success. So after, you know, they had a swallow on the playground and hit someone with a ball, we don't need to say that was wrong. You shouldn't do that. If they're older than three, they've heard it before. They know it's wrong. But to tell them, hey, what was that like? What could you do next time? And they may say, I was bad. I shouldn't have hit them with the ball. And you say, yeah, it sounds like you had an impulse. You had a feeling you just wanted to hit. What could you do next time so you don't hit? And then they can make a plan for the future. And what we need to expect as parents is there will be dozens and hundreds of conversations like that (laughs) at all different levels from the playground to the parties in high school where you're going to be sending your child out with all of the advice and wisdom that you can pour into their ears and then they're going to be the actor and have agency and you'll be that soft place to land if they mess up when they mess up because we all do and helping them process and get back up and try again yes I, I love this. So you're talking about instead of being reactive to that moment, that that difficult moment, helping them kind of emotionally get through that moment. You're you're talking about, and you talk about a lot this a lot in the book is this idea of the emotional regulation. And so you, what you're kind of saying is like our emotions and our kids' emotions drive us to do stupid stuff sometimes, right? Right. They drive us to do them to do all kinds of stupid things and and us as well. And they make mistakes. And so what we need to be doing more is to be helping them process the emotions that are leading to these behavioral challenges. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And, or even to help them understand, you know what, Um, this day was too busy for me. I can't go from soccer to a birthday party to swim and, and not lose it. So I just, you know, maybe it's something bigger than just the emotions. Maybe it's that they're a a kind of kid who needs more downtime or they actually get bored and they need more structured activity, but helping them to understand who they are and to make the most in the, in the best of their lives and figure out how they're going to contribute to the world, which is really all we all want for our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. 
So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So let's rewind just a little bit to like in your section talking about the problem because you mentioned this kid who is going from the, the soccer practice to the birthday party to the pool party and whatnot. And one of the things that you talk about in the good news about bad behavior is how much our world has changed in this this time. And I kind of was I was talking about this with I was talking about your book on my hus with my husband on and my girls as we were walking through the woods, and we were making the analogy that our culture has is kind of like the frog in the pot of boiling water, right? Mm. Where we have been slowly turning up the heat, and we're not realizing the changes. And you had some really shocking statistics in your book. I have like question mark, exclamation point kind of written down on this. You write that in 1970, children were four years old before they regularly started watching TV. Nowadays, the average age is four months. When yep. they start, and we were just like, our jaws were like, we're scraping them off the ground. Like, are you really? Are you serious? And then by age of five, the typical kid is on a screen for four and a half hours a day, which is 40% of their waking hours. And I just like, I mean, that's so shocking to me. Like, I, I feel like, oh my gosh, how can we not realize that this is an incredible problem. But then also, if this is the culture around us, like for those who are maybe on the more moderate side of that, like, I don't know. So tell us a little bit about the problem of our screens and our, our lives and, and the way our lives have changed so much and the lives for kids have changed so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a great, I love that you were walking in the woods because the other scary statistics I, I recently heard is that children have on average have less daily outdoor time than prisoners in, you know, prisons or jails. And so it's just obvious when you think about it, how much our society has changed. And of course that would have an impact on our behavior and our brains. 
So it's impossible to totally prove why kids are the way they are now, why we have this crisis of self-regulation. But in the book, I argue there's three huge factors that have changed in our society. Number one, you mentioned, which is the dramatic increase in screens and technology. It's really just now our ecosystem. It's the default that we have them at our fingertips. Um, The second factor is play that has almost disappeared from kids' lives. And by this, I mean unstructured play, outdoor play, where you're not on a team in a soccer match or, you know, in some kind of activity, but you're really autonomous. You're playing with other kids, making your own rules, figuring out your own conflicts. And that has always been how children learn social and emotional skills and conflict resolution and even things like abstract thought. It's so important. Play is the work of childhood. And so many kids aren't playing in that true sense where it's not an organized activity. Then the third factor is the way that we are really so isolated and many, many families are so isolated. We're not connected to our community. The kids don't have a sense of they have a job to do in the family where they're doing chores or watching a younger sibling. They may not have an after school job or, you know, helping our neighbors or, 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 you know, that broader sense of contribution. And instead their childhood is all about achievement, as I mentioned before. Mm. So it's hard to, fight back against the tide. But I've heard so many stories on book tour for this book about families that have, and they don't need to, you know, move into the wilderness or join a commune, but (laughs) they can just be that one person on the block who one afternoon a week is home after school. And that's the place where kids can come and play. And one mom I talked to said that her son was always wanting to just play in the backyard, but there were no other little boys around for him to play with. And then a new family moved into the neighborhood and they didn't have a set schedule and their son started playing with her son. And before you knew it, they were always like roaming the backyard, making sticks into weapons and creating forts and all the things that many parents would say, oh, that's so dangerous. But that's what eight and nine-year-old boys want to do. And suddenly the other boys in the neighborhood didn't want to go to their scheduled activity because they heard all the fun that their friends were having. And before long, there were like 10 little eight-year-old boys roaming that neighborhood and playing free playing in the afternoons. And it's so much healthier for them and more affordable for the parents (laughs) paying for all the after-school activities. So there are ways we can do it. It doesn't have to be a weekday. It can be one afternoon on the weekend when you say we're not signing up for anything, we're just going to kick the kids out of the house and they can play with the neighbors or in the backyard. And you'll, you may find that more and more people will glom onto that when they see you doing it. Yeah. I mean, we do this in our family, we do this screen-free Sunday. And so every Sunday we don't have any screen time. And I f- sometimes we feel like we need to like make <laughs> the irony is we want to make Instagram posts of it. Hashtag screen free Sunday. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Things our kids do on screen free Sunday are like amazing because they get into all these really creative projects. There's books that start being created and forts and all these all these really cool things that that end up happening on screen free Sunday. And I I love that you're encouraging people to get out and to let your kids play because we need that. And so what, what do you say to the listener who says that I'm 
too afraid to let my kids out into the neighborhood, you know, and, and what, what are some good guidelines? I mean, it's hard to say, I mean, every kid is individual, but, but what might you say to the people that who say, I'm, I'm afraid to let my kids out and, and what might be some baby steps that they could take? Yeah, well, I, I understand that fear and truly parenting has become so fear-based and um, we're worried about something bad happening to our kids. We're worried about us being blamed for it. Mm -hmm. We're worried about the judgment of other parents, but parenting is not for the faint of heart. We need to be strong enough and courageous enough when our children are older to ask them how they're handling sex and drugs, to ask them if they've thought about self-harm or suicide, to have those difficult conversations. And if we can't build those muscles in ourselves when our kids are little, how are we going to get to that point? So I would take it as a challenge that my child needs this freedom. And my fear is about me. And Mm. anxiety, I don't think it's a coincidence, is the biggest disorder of those disorders that I mentioned before. Nearly a third of kids in the NIH study developed anxiety by the time they're 18. So our children need the opportunity to test themselves and take risks more than we need to feel that they're safe because we have them within eyesight. The, the, the things going on in their heads are more dangerous to them than falling or tripping or, or getting hurt in, in the outdoors are. So as you say, baby steps, you always do it with your child first. You talk about how they would handle different situations. When we started letting our kids walk to the neighborhood elementary school, we walked it with them. We talked about how do you handle crossing the road? How do you know when it's safe? And then did it with them where they were 100% in charge and we weren't warning them or coaching them or anything. And then they started doing it on their own. And I admit, I called the school secretary to make sure they got there safely. And she was kind enough to tell me, yes. So it's the same with like when you let your kids go on bike rides around the neighborhood, we always have them in pairs. We have a rule that even if you have the worst fight you've ever had with your friend or your sibling, you never leave a friend. And so you can bike back steaming at each other, but you make sure you're both home before you split up. And, you know, those kinds of things are just the first steps. I also would, would give, give kids lots of opportunities to be independent in a grocery store. They can go um, hunt down, an aisle, down a different aisle from you. Even at five and six, if you're keeping an eye on them and you have a safe place to meet, that can be a little baby step to giving them more autonomy. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love those. You know, it's funny. Yeah. And you're talking about coaching, not controlling, right? Like, and the, really the whole point of this is to work ourselves out of a job, right? So we want to be doing that. I have to share, we live in kind of a little patch of woods and we have a lot of English ivy and we have poison ivy. And I have to say, my girls are like expert spotters in poison ivy at this point because I've, you know, just taught, taught them how to do it. So um, it's such a great analogy too, because we cannot be there every minute of their life and that's not healthy. So we have to give them the skills and the knowledge to protect themselves. Yes. Yes, exactly. So before we let you go, Catherine, I want that you mentioned a couple other things in the book that I think are really important to underline. And and dear listener, you have to get this book because it's wonderful. It's so readable, chock full of knowledge. It's great for all those partners who want the stats. Get it for the partners who want the stats. <laughs> and you also point out two things that I wanted to end with, and that is that kids need some stress in their lives and it's actually not helpful to have that perfect ideal mom or dad. So can you speak to those just 
briefly. Yes, yes. This is the other big bugaboo of parenting, aside from fear, is inadequacy or guilt or whatever you want to call it. If we mess up, if we have one moment where we don't parent the way we planned, we beat ourselves up so hard. If we forget a permission slip or yell or do something else that shows we are human, it's somehow impossible. And yet think about if you were a child who sees you as so capable and competent and always knowing what to do when, if you never mess up, boy, how are they ever going to imagine they can be as capable as you? Whereas if you mess up and you normalize being imperfect, then it's okay for them to be imperfect too. Mm. So many of the problems we've been talking about, anxiety, self-harm, suicide, come from children turning that anger or hatred inside against themselves instead of accepting we're all flawed and imperfect. It's a gift to show your child that that does not destroy you. And in fact, you accept that. So mm. yeah, go on. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> and not make the mistakes, apologize. It's also how we model apology, forgiveness, and making amends. Yes. Yes. And then, and then kids need some stress in their life, right? Yes. Yes. So So this is how we all learn and change and grow. When you look at back at your life and you think about when were the times I really discovered I was capable, it was when you were faced with real challenge. So we can't, and we shouldn't try to remove all those challenges from our child's life, whether that's teacher who's perhaps not the nicest or a playmate who we see our child having conflicts with or the many other bumps in the road that are part of a normal childhood. We can help our child prepare for them, as I said before, and process them, but we shouldn't try to eliminate them because, you know, at what point is it going to be okay for our child to experience difficulty when they're 18? Well, then if they've never experienced it up until then, they won't be ready. We need to help them have the opportunity to build those muscles. Mm. Catherine, this is amazing. You have just dropped so many wisdom bombs on us today. I think it's it's wonderful. Dear listener, you go get the good news about bad behavior. It's really a great read. Catherine's a great writer and it's chock full of those statistics that really back all this up. So if you need the the support for a partner or a spouse who says I don't know. We need to spank the kids. So, um, (laughs) Catherine, where can people connect with you and tell them maybe their takeaways from listening to the Mindful Mama podcast with you today? Oh, I would love to hear from listeners. My website is catherinerlewis.com. I'm on Facebook at Catherine R. Lewis, Instagram, Catherine Reynolds Lewis, and Twitter, Catherine Lewis. Catherine, this has been a great gift for you to take the time to talk to us. And I just want to thank you for this work because you took the strengths, your journalism strengths that you have, which are in your writing strengths, which are considerable. And you made this, presented this information with such clarity and such humanity. And I think this work that you've done in this book is really going to help shift the dial. It's going to help change things for so many people in ways that you'll never, ever know, I'm sure. But it's really helping me. And I'm definitely going to pass it on to others. So I I just want to thank you for the work that you've put out in the world. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, Hunter, thank you so much. I have loved the conversation. And thank you for supporting parents and families. And I'm excited to read your book. (laughs) 
coming soon, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. I hope you enjoyed what Catherine had to say about kids having less control. You're you're actually not going crazy, which is great. And isn't it amazing about the rewards that actually discourage and these common elements to the parenting paths that work. And that's why I created Mindful Parenting. And that's why we're going to be doing the free training. So if you do one thing today, make sure you join the Mindful Parenting free training. It's at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And this is really, Catherine and I were so excited to talk to each other because this is one of those parenting paths that really do work. That is that middle authoritative path. So we will show you how to really create that calm within yourself so that you can create these great relationships that last a lifetime. So I'm so glad you were here to be part of the podcast today. So glad to be back in your ears. And if you have comments, questions, feel free to tag me and connect with me. But be sure to join the free training because that's where we can really connect. Next week, we're going to be talking about why punishments don't work. So we'll be going more in depth into that. So I hope to talk to you then and connect with you then. Thank you so much for making this podcast a part of your day, for giving us a chance to connect in this way. I'm wishing you a beautiful, peaceful week, and I hope this has truly inspired you. Namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for all of your life? I'm a mom who has gone from really being stressed and yelling when my kids were young to be having a more grounded, more at ease relationship with life and having more enjoyable, cooperative relationships with my kids. And I've shown hundreds and thousands of women around the world how to do this. And I want to show you how to do it too. So if you are currently feeling stuck or stagnant, this is definitely for you. I've created a free downloadable audible training, Mindfulness for Moms, the superpower you need. And it will show you how to respond rather than react, how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds, how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids for a lifetime. To get on on this audio training absolutely free, simply visit the website www.mindfulmomguide.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.